0: good morning to Line Radio. 107.3 fm on a saturday morning it's the movie hour good morning daniel Murray. good morning richard how are you i'm fine i'm fine before we get into the films i have a little story and if martin at the station is listening this morning and i hope you are good morning to you this is alma station by the way mm-hmm. and um, you may know that the turner prize has been um, exhibiting at uh, the baltic absolutely and, my uh, sister works at the art gallery yes, so she's the, been telling me all about it yes uh, the big evening last night wasn't it i think yeah well Martin's done this little little homage to the uh, to the Turner Prize down at his coffee store with uh various cups and coffee beans um <laughs> representing the the meaning of the Turner competition. <laughs> so slightly tongue in cheek, but you know Yeah, I can see where that's going. That's going uh you know, re- reasonably <laughs> reverential. Yes. Well anyway, lots of people have been coming making comments about it 'cause it you know, like all good modern art it generates opinion, good or bad. Anyway it's this, um, this couple uh, were looking at it one day and talking to him a couple of days ago and, uh, and um, they said, ah, oh, um, my, my, my father's exhibiting this. I wonder if he's seen your display. Because apparently one of the artists had been staying in Almouth for a week and has been getting the train in from Almouth to Newcastle every day, right. <laughs> getting his coffee off Martin. So, <laughs> so we don't know if he's uh, very impressed completely offended <laughs> what's happened <laughs> it's a great story yeah and also no next year it's not yes. too late to enter <laughs> indeed yes right <laughs> shall we have a look what's going on locally there's loads of films to tell you about so well, shall we uh let's crack on and canter through and i'll do yes. one line review yeah 7.30 tonight at the Annick Playhouse. It is Cowboys and Aliens. His title's good. The film's a bit disappointing once the appeal of Han Solo and James Bond together wears off. Right. Uh, Tuesday afternoon, 4.30. Well, it is half-term week, of course, at the Smurfs. Less said about the better. Right. Tuesday evening at 7.30 is Captain America. Which, no, you really like the comics. I think that it
1: does strike a pretty good balance between the inherent creakiness of the character. It's knowingly ridiculous, although not be... Albeit or or not as good as Flash Gordon, but then nothing is. Right.
0: Um, Saturday night, the first of the uh, duo for Halloween, is Fright Night. The remake of Fright Night, which is about as good as the original, it's still a bit creaky, but David Tennant and Colin Farrell are both pretty good. And then Monday, because we're not here next weekend, uh, 31st of October, 9pm start for Ed Wood. Tim Burton's best film by a country mile.
1: Well, Sweeney Todd's actually quite close. Johnny Depp's finest performance. One of the greatest films of the 1990s. See it if you can. It's
0: amazing. Nick, 510785 for the box office. Mortings in Berwick, and I've got to say, as well as the ones that I know about, there are lots of... Um, daytime films being put on for the half-term holidays and you need to look at the maltings website because i don't think even the maltings know what they are yet yes. so uh, <laughs> keep a keep a close eye on those this month's off. mystery movie because we don't know what we're going to do yeah <laughs> family films on throughout the week but uh, let me tell you tomorrow one o'clock the one they do know about we're off to see the wizard the well, wonderful wizard of oz well i made because, myself because 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 thank you yeah i made of the wonderful things he does
1: I made myself quite clear last week. I think that, no, I'm in the minority of thinking it's an awful film and that the sequel's much better because it's shorter and creepier, which we'll come on to when we talk about, we need to talk about Kevin. But, no,
0: I understand why people love it, just don't expect to see me there. (laughs) Right, fair enough. Uh, Wednesday evening at half past seven, it's a Berwick Film Society production called Oranges and Sunshine. Which is great. It's the debut film by Jim Loach. Um, I saw this about a
1: couple of months ago, and fantastic central performances by... um, Emily Watson, David Wenham, I mean, no, the best form I've seen him in, and um, not Hugh Jackman. What's his name? Hugo Weaving. fantastics no, based on a real story. Um, Jim Loach obviously is the son of Ken Loach. It's really, really great. So go and see it.
0: Right, and then next Saturday, two thirty, and seven thirty, and I am got a hope of getting the director's name right here. It's Jane Eyre. Oh, yeah, it's, um... I think it's Carrie Fukunawa is the name you're searching for. You've done very well.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, it's very good. It's much more restrained as an adaptation than you would expect. And in a couple of weeks' time, we've got Andrea Arnold's version of Wuthering Heights coming out. That'll be interesting to sort of compare the two. I think it's very good, and uh, Mia Vashikowska is very fine as the central performance. We'll
0: talk about her more when we come to Restless. And it's got Jamie Bell in it! Yes! Yes! Yes, for those who like Jamie Bell. Right. And then a couple for Halloween. Uh, Sunday afternoon, first of all... Uh, uh, two o'clock, Casper Film Party. Which I, I presume
1: that would be the 1995 version of Casper, which which is fine. I mean, it's got Kurt Russell in, of course, and that's one of Kurt Russell's better performances because he plays the dad with uh, Christina Ritchie. It's okay, it's not
0: as funny as it needs to be, but it's fine, just so long as they're not showing the sequels. I guess that's the non-scary version of Halloween. Yes. And then Fright Night on the Monday evening, which we've already talked about. Yeah. Eight o'clock, that is Half Price Monday. David Tennant, I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. Right. David Tennant playing Russell Brand, but doing a better job than Russell Brand would do. <laughs> 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 Fair enough. Shall we uh, have a look at the top ten, then? I think we should. At number ten, we've got
1: Drive. Which is really good, and I'm glad that it's taken so much money. You know, Nick Vinding Refn has made a, an upmarket exploitation film, which has got existential trappings, and Ryan Gosling is very, very good.
0: Yeah. I suddenly realised The Inbetweeners isn't in the top ten. I know. 10. It's gone. finally gone. How many many months has it been in the top ten? About three, maybe even four months, but no. It feels like forever. Yes. I think it was, was it last night it was on in Annick? I think it was. Quite possibly. Uh, Because there was a post from Lewis Denny on Facebook saying he was off to see the Inbetweeners again. (laughs) Yes, I know. I can almost imagine Louis Denny. Do you remember that episode of Father Ted where they're asked to protest
1: against a film and they stand outside the cinema with placards saying, down with this sort of thing and careful now? I can almost imagine Lewis. no blockading the screening of the in-between is saying, please see this if you get
0: the chance. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great, wouldn't it? Yes. Uh, don't be afraid of the doc, is at number nine? Which
1: never really comes through with the goods. No, I like Guy Pearce, and no, with the involvement of Guillermo del Toro on a production level, you expect the best. The problem is that it's not Pan's Labyrinth.
0: midnight in paris is at
1: number eight which i really like woody allen's best film in about five years i mean the premise harks back heavily to play it again sam which of course like i say he didn't direct but no that's him getting advice from humphrey bogart it handles the subject of nostalgia in an amusing and breezy way and it's a good date movie and like i said there's not many woody allen films that you can do that with that's good Number seven, I've not, I'm not sure I've heard of this one, have I? Dolphin Tail? Well, we reviewed it last week, so... You don't
0: expect me to remember that do you part. You listen to <laughs> anything I
1: say on this programme. It is as if we've gone back to the 1990s where Free Willy is in vogue again, and my advice is that, you know, it's saccharine and predictable, so if you can't wait for Free Willy to come on TV, then fine, but otherwise no excuse. It's having good critical review. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's very, very predictable, but, I mean, that's prob- it's probably getting good reviews because there's nothing sort of offensive or outwardly bad about it. It's just very ordinary.
0: All right, number six, the film of the song.
1: Yes, Footloose. The original Footloose was unremarkable, although it did launch the career of Kevin Bacon, so we have to thank that for that. This is
0: more of the same. It would
1: have been much more fun if Kenny Ortega had got his hands on it, but as a slice of innocuous teeny
0: bopper fluff, it's perfectly fine. Number five, uh... Your film of the year, I think, is Well,
1: so far, but that might change by the end of today. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, it's really great, it's weighty, it's substantial, and it does fulfil the promise of Let the Right One In. I'm
0: hoping it's they're going to be showing it on the plane while I'm uh, flying over the next few weeks, because I haven't had a chance to see it yet. And since we're coming up to
1: Halloween, Let the Right One In is a great Halloween film, so go and see it right number four is real steel which is all right i mean the story is incredibly cheesy and all the plot points can be seen coming a mile off but if michael bay's listening this is how you do a film about robots hitting each other you know with characters in amongst the special effects there was a story that broke uh, incidentally this week that transformers four and five are going to be made back to back and when i heard that i had to go lie down in a darkened room to get rid of my headache oh, it's <laughs> my preemptive headache <laughs> <laughs> i can remember
0: all the talk about transformers 3 yes we'll not go there again because yeah.
1: People don't want to be bored at this early in the morning
0: um number three not exactly loved by the critics the three musketeers which no i think
1: we're agreed it's not as good as the richard lester versions
0: um it's um no when paul
1: ws anderson started out he no he was pretty good because he made a couple of video game adaptations then made event horizon which we might talk about on the slot actually because it didn't take all that much money the first time around and that was an interesting sort of it was the shining in space but with slightly more gore and then since then he's once he started doing the resident evil stuff he has become so obsessed with sort of special effects in 3d that he's lost the plot a bit i mean my advice is i mean if you haven't seen the Richard lester films go that i mean even the man in the iron mask for all the kind of the fluffy quality that it has no leonardo dicaprio doing the pretty boy performance
0: it's still quite good fun so i go and get that instead I can do a pretty boy performance in an iron mask, but anyway, yes, uh, you can. <laughs> That's the point. <laughs> number two, it's the Lion King in 3D. Again, in 2D it's great. In 3D it's
1: a marketing exercise. You don't need to see it in the cinema. Go and get it on DVD or Blu-ray.
0: And number one, oh god, Johnny English Reborn. I had a friend of mine who went to see it, and
1: he thought it was every bit as good, if not better, than the first film. And I think he was mainly won over by the fact that there wasn't anything offensive in it. I mean, not that he's a sort of prudish person by any means. Now, it's, you know, it's Ronak- no is a very talented actor but the script around him is weak and inert when it needs to be sort of bendy and flexible and all the jokes have been done through the austin power series i was watching a bit of gold member again the other day and just thinking yeah this is getting a bit thin even now so yeah it's not worth seeing in the cinemas but if it's as late night dvd or tv it might be all right
0: Okay, so recommendations this week. Tinker Tailor, if you
1: haven't already, Real Steel if you know it's you no know, dads and lads, and Midnight in Paris if you want
0: to take a date. So a few uh, few choices for you there. We'll be doing our cult film after the Tuckers. In hard radio. Great song there, the Tuckers and Gabrielle. So it's been Halloween month, and we get to our high climax
1: that's the word i was looking for we do because we're not here for two weeks after this so we thought we'd bring the big one forward uh carrie a 1976 horror classic based on the debut novel by stephen king have you read any of stephen king's novels no
0: he's I think I may have tried to read one he's just not my type of author I've got to say fair enough I mean I've, I've only read bits and pieces so yeah. fair enough uh,
1: directed by Brian De Palma who is you know, better known for his 80s work because he made things like uh, Blowout, which is his sort of remake of Michelangelo Antonioni's Blow Up from the mid 60s the remake of Scarface with uh, Al Pacino in you know, the, the big yeah. Al Pacino performance which in many ways people blame for his persistent <laughs> overacting over the last <laughs> 10 years um, he also made The Untouchables for which Sean Connery Won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar, to which the obvious question is how, you know, playing an Irish cop but with a Scottish accent and just, you know, out of sympathy, I suppose. Now, he's one of these directors who, who came out of the new Hollywood movement, which also produced Scorsese and Peter Bogdanovich yeah. and William Friedkin, and everything up until The Bonfire of the Vanities, he was pretty good, and since then he's effectively been style over substance, and he's gotten very used to producing glossy films like The Black Dahlia, which have no intelligence to them whatsoever. It's a bit of a shame. Um, filmed on a budget of about $1.8 million, which, you know compared to the sort of stuff John Carpenter was doing around the same time, it was, you know, about the same, took around 33 million in North America, just, you no know, on its own, so... It, a big success. It was a big success, and it also attracted, like you were saying in the break, a couple of Oscar nods, so by definition, you think, well, can this be a cult film if it was Oscar-nominated? The reason we're doing it is that it, in terms of horror following, it has one of the most devoted followings of any 70s horror film, and it was recently voted one of the most popular films watched by teenagers on Halloween, so I think it's it's quite a fitting that we do it at this time. It also resulted in a couple of sequels. There was a, a film called Carry to the Rage, which came out in the late 90s, and then there was a, a TV miniseries which went back to the source novel in 2002, neither of which involved the Palmer, and neither of which, I have to say, were uh, as good. I mean, it's like the thing where Stephen King did his own miniseries version of The Shining be- in the 90s because he still had mixed feelings about the Kubrick film, and it just wasn't as good. I mean, not just because King isn't as good as a director as Kubrick, but because of the way that yeah. Kubrick took that novel and did something extraordinary with it. So the plot is, it's set in the fictional Bates School, which is probably somewhere in Maine because that's where a lot of Stephen King's novels take place and it follows the daily struggles of Carrie White in an extraordinary performance by Sissy Spacek, who uh, previously came to critical attention in Terrence Malick's Badlands three years previously and at the beginning of the film We see a group of girls uh, showering after gym or PE class, whichever, Americanism you want to use, during which time we discover that Carrie has started to menstruate for the first time, you know, sort of, the men in the audience will get a bit uncomfortable at this point, but no, it's central to the plot, so we have to talk about it. And she's freaked out by this, and all the girls start laughing at her and throwing tampons at her in the shower. Yeah. Um, this is compounded by her mother, played by Piper Laurie, who is a religious fundamentalist who believes that all, that female menstrual bleeding is a punishment from god mm. because of Eve's involvement in the fall and as Carrie's frustration and rage begins to bubble to the surface she discovers that she may have telekinetic powers as she can move objects with her ah. mind which she slowly starts to control so how does that sound for a sort of a setup for S- sounds fun yeah it does um like jaws before it carrie is one of the great happy accidents in horror cinema Stephen King was interviewed by uh, Mark Lawson when he turned 60 about uh, four or five years ago now. And he was saying that he almost threw his debut novel away out of frustration because it had started out as a short story and then it got a bit longer and a bit yeah. longer and a bit longer and he couldn't work out how to finish it or what it meant. And it was actually his wife who said, no, actually, I think this is really good. And, it was, and she actually found it funny as well. So yeah. that was the thing that convinced him. And he only got $2,500 for the film rights, which even for the 70s was, you know, a pitiful sum of money. Yeah. Um, production was very underfunded by United artists they were struggling because a couple of their sort of beacon directors like Peter Bogdanovich had had flops Peter Bogdanovich the year before made a terrible film called long last love with um with Burt Reynolds which is sort of his tribute to all the Cole Porter musicals of the 30s and it's so bad that it's never been released on (laughs) video or DVD I mean you can stream it on the internet but it's not worth it because it is terrible and Brian De Palma hadn't really had a hit he'd had a modest hit with obsession earlier in the decade and he'd had there was a cult film he made called phantom of the paradise which is very close to the rocky horror picture show although obviously not the rocky horror yeah. picture show i think it came out the year before or something like that so he wasn't he wasn't the big highly regarded arty mainstream director that he had that he became in the early and mid 80s but out of this potential disappointment comes an engrossing and a terrifying film which is regarded as not only one of the best stephen king adaptations but the, probably the best film of de palma's career i mean there is a lot of people who would argue that scarface is better and I've always felt a bit indifferent towards Scarface. That might be because of Oliver Stone's involvement in the screenplay, because I don't rate Oliver Stone very highly at all. I mean, Mm. he's one of these directors who, I mean, if you sort of compare Full Metal Jacket to Platoon, Full Metal Jacket is sort of nuanced and uh, complicated and harrowing, whereas Platoon is like, War is horrible! Do you understand? (laughs) Yeah, it's not subtle at all. Like many Stephen King adaptations, there was a relatively small gap between Carrie being finished as a novel and the film being released. The only contemporary production with a shorter turnaround was um, John Carpenter's Christine, because the novel for Christine was published in April 1983. Carpenter started shooting in June, and it was released in December. So that is a quick turnaround, which you could only do if you're someone like Carpenter who's used to working that quick. As a result, it's very difficult to judge how much of the success of Carrie lies in De Palma's direction and how much of it comes directly from the power of the source material. I think that De Palma's biggest contribution from a narrative point of view is that he takes a relatively simple premise of, you know, a high school girl with telekinetic powers and manages to explore it comprehensively through 90 minutes without a single sense that you're having padding or you're just sticking stuff in. I mean, there's no... With the exception of one scene of um, one of the characters flating John Travolta in a car, in which it's all implied, you don't obviously yeah. see that, even though it is an 18th certificate, I think. There isn't anything of that sort of 70s indulgence which makes you think, oh, this is going on a bit, why can't you just yeah. get to the pig blood sequence? <laughs> the th- yeah, I mean, the thing, the car- because Carrie was intended as a short story, there is an yeah. inbuilt modesty in the material which you don't get from some, some of King's longer works. I mean, if you've seen the adaptation of um, his... Uh, novel It from the nineteen nineties, which has that you no know, performance by Tim Curry as Pennywise, yes, kind of a TV yeah. movie. I mean, it's there are interesting ideas in it, but it goes on a bit and it's yeah. sort of flipping back between the timelines and it's you no know, very baggy in places. Whereas Carrie, it's sort of short, sweet, straight ahead and very scary as a result. And you get this immensely believable characters and a great sort of thematic richness, which like I say is lacking in some of his longer works. I mean I think yeah. he's a very good writer. I understand that he's not your theme because he you no, know, he does get into a rut sometimes yeah. with his more dramatic work and I but no, he is very good when he's doing short and sweet. Yeah. So at its most basic, it's about the horrors of high school, sort of, you know, bullying, peer pressure, being an outcast, and in a very exaggerated way, having to live up to the expectations of one's parents. Like I said, that is very yeah. exaggerated, because this is a parent who believes that, no, all women are inherently evil because of their involvement in the fall. So, you know, having to live up to that yes. is a bit of a challenge. Um, it's, in, in that sense, its influence on horror in general, and indeed, sort of, the high school genre is immense. I and mean, on the one hand, you have the sort of the dark, nasty cult horror film things like Heathers yeah. from the 1980s, which launched the career of Winona Ryder and features the immortal line <coughs> "Me gently with a chainsaw." Uh, <laughs> yes, um, and that subsequently goes into more, something more recent like Jennifer's Body, which had Megan Fox yeah. as a sort of a succubus character. Or you go into the, sort of the other direction; its influence on something like Mean Girls with Lindsay Lohan, so sort of Lindsay Lohan's Finest Hour, in many ways, in which it's uh, the very plastic, tacky, nasty nature of high school, albeit without much in the way of blood and guts. The opening sequence in which you see the majority of girls showering, which, like I say, could tip over into sort of, okay, this is quite leery, why are you be focusing on naked women? It does manage to set them up as being, no, the majority of girls at school are sort of repulsive and knowing, no, fit and they know it, basically. Whereas Carrie comes across as this, slight vulnerable character who is sort of gaunt and wary i mean i when I, I saw it i was actually th- reminded of Gollum in the lord of the rings because it's that sort of very thin straight hair and the shrinking yeah. back into the, and the hunching yeah. over i mean i know you have mixed feelings about the portrayal of Gollum in lord of the rings yes. but it's it it's that sort of complete contrast between in terms of the withered body which yeah. carrie has about five minutes or so where she basically takes revenge on the school <laughs> it's a question of is she controlling the powers or are the powers controlling her yeah. and uh, what's going to happen it's also on another level about the suffocating influence of religion and in particular the role of religion in repressing and persecuting women which is quite topical at the moment with what's going on in the islamic world yeah, where we hear sort of indeed, very stories about yes, people being yeah. stoned and so forth And other. i mean you can read into that as much as you like and like i say carrie's mother is a Christian fundamentalist Christian in inverted commas obviously because yeah. I don't think she's entirely representative <laughs> of our parish and she believes like that menstrual bleeding is an indication of sin when she's punishing Carrie and sort of locking her in a cupboard with a full of crucifixes she keeps repeating the phrase no Eve was weak Eve was weak and uh forcing her daughter to repeat it and it's as if she's saying no you are guilty of sin purely by virtue of being born a woman and if you've born been born a man none of this would have happened and the world would be a much better place and the mother is a very compelling character because although she, you know, on the one level is just a straightforward fundamentalist into pure evil, there is some sort of sadomasochistic quality about her because she derives pleasure in the form of spiritual vindication from both punishing Carrie and heaping sin upon herself. And so by believing that sort of all her kind are sort of cursed and yeah. sinful because of what happened in the book of Genesis She sort of allows herself to be punished even while she's heaping it on her daughter And there's a sequence at the end where Carrie gets her revenge and sort of kills her mother by moving knives at her from the kitchen drawer <laughs> and as she sort of screams it it's it's I mean not to put too fine upon it, but her death stories is quite orgasmic in sense of just sort of strange thought sort of, oh rather than just the sort of the gasp and she dies in the same pose as the crucifix in carrie's cupboard which sort of brings it back to yeah that that's that speaks for itself there are other biblical connotations as well as just you know the implication of the sinfulness of womanhood which again is not representative of christianity as a whole but i think that's fairly obvious there is the idea of the sins of the father being visited on on the sons because it's revealed late in the film that um Carrie's mother, called Margaret, slept with Carrie's father out of wedlock, the implication being that Carrie is illegitimate and yeah. he left, either because he was afraid of the mother or because he felt ashamed of what he'd done. It doesn't particularly matter. I think would have been afraid
0: of the mother. Yes.
1: <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no real indication of whether she was that fundamental when they met, but no, certainly if she was, I don't think the relationship would have lasted very long. And it's about the mother sort of implicating the child because she can't she doesn't have the courage to atone for her own sin which you no know, goes back to all the stuff in leviticus and so forth about that in terms of its horror comparison there are two um sort of touchstones both of which came slightly after Carrie, but which it's useful to compare it to the first one is nightmare on elm street the west craven film from yeah. the mid-80s which you know freddy krueger um in Sapphire, that is about taking the idea of the sins of the fathers being visited on the son, but doing it in a much more surrealistic way i mean i'm not the biggest fan of nightmare on arm street but it does have that fantastic image of um heather langard camp being chased down the street and freddie's arms extending out and scraping along the <laughs> walls which is very very creepy yeah. and, and the other touchstone for it for me um is dario Argento's suspiria which was in pre-production when carrie was being made so there is it's very difficult to say whether Argento yeah. was influenced by that, because a lot of the, the way that his films look, he'd sort of perfected by yeah. watching all Mario Bava's stuff before that. But both films are very, very striking in their manipulation of colour. The film's shot by Mario Tosi and hits that same, the same things that Argento's film's got, which is sort of shimmering iridescent blues and very sort of mattish blood-like reds. Yeah. Now, if you, certainly if you've seen Suspiria, there is a lot of that sort of thing for various reasons. The other reason it's close to *Suspiria* though, for my money, is that there are huge elements of both which are rooted in fairy tales. Because whereas *Suspiria* is on one level modelled on *Snow White* and the Seven Dwarfs, because you have Jessica Harper's character as the ballet student who goes to this this ballet school, which turns out to be run by a coven of witches, with the head yeah. witch as the sort of the, the wicked um, queen who turns herself into a hag. So that's all yeah. in there. Carrie is in many ways a reworking of Cinderella but with the final act subverted because instead of the handsome prince coming in to save the day and everything working she out fine she kills everyone but she also embraces her hellishness she sort yeah. of descends into the bowels of hell taking everyone with her so i mean if you want to sort of draw the analogy strictly it's you no know, the, the classmates of the ugly sisters as they're the ones sort of bitching about her yeah. even though Carrie is not, is actually, in many ways, the best girl. Mm-hmm. Margaret is the wicked stepmother, because yeah. you know, which you know, fits in with the idea that Carrie's illegitimate. And the, the handsome prince is sort of this blonde-haired you no know, jock guy who's actually in on the act, which sort of subverts a bit of Cinderella even more. The film wouldn't be half as good without the performance of Sissy Spacek, who is absolutely phenomenal. The story goes that she was originally cast to play uh, the role of Christine Hargenson, which eventually went to Nancy Allen. Christine's the incredibly bitchy blonde one who, like yeah. I say, in one scene plots Carrie's revenge while fellating John Travolta in a car at the movies. Sort of, you know, going down and saying, yeah. oh, I really hate Carrie White's... What? Just get on with it, will you? <laughs> uh, not to put too fine a point on it. Um, so she was cast as that role, determined to change the Palmer's mind. She, uh, smeared Vaseline into her hair and went back to the final auditions in a dress that she had worn for seventh grade. And De Palma thought, yes, that's Carrie right there. Sorry, yeah. I got it wrong. I mean, it, that sort of approach doesn't always work. There was the famous story in the 90s that when they were casting Batman Returns, Sean Young, who um, is most famous for playing Rachel in Blade Runner, turned up on the set in a homemade cat suit and, said, <laughs> and started stalking Tim Burton. So that doesn't always yeah. work. Yeah. But on this occasion, it did. The thing that SpaceX has is a, a heartbreaking fragility to the role so that you instantly feel for the character not just yeah. because she looks wiry and weak and vulnerable but because it's not manipulative you genuinely feel that no this could have been me yeah. if i was being bullied i mean I, it's it's really good and the image of the blood-stained carrie walking home from the prom after she's wreaked havoc it's terrifying but it's also deeply tragic because you understand exactly what she's gone through to her yeah. to this point sorry if i just hit my microphone I think the one flaw with the film, which leads us into the big set piece involving the pig blood, is to do with the Palmer's visual trickery. Most of the time, it works very well. I mean, he's famous for sort of using lots of visual tropes in, yeah. his, in his directorial style. So, for instance, when uh, Carrie and uh, Tommy, the Dutch, the, not the Dutch guy, the, Jocker dancing The camera is at What's known as A Dutch angle So it's sort of Looking up at the characters And it starts twirling around And it goes Slightly yeah. faster than They're twirling around So it creates that sort of Slightly surrealistic Fairy tale quality There's the final Dream sequence In which um, One of the, the Bullies goes to visit Carrie's grave Which is sort of Um It's a pile of stones with a for sale sign on it, and then she puts flowers on the grave, and a hand comes up, (laughs) and then she wakes up, which is a big nod to Deliverance. And that was in the same way as things like the Ring films in the 90s. That was shot backwards, so she's sort of walking backwards, and then play forwards, and make it seem more dreamlike, and it works very well. And De Palma's use of slow motion up to the pig pig blood bucket falling on her head does work very well. But once... The pig blood hits the fan, so to speak, because essentially what happens is she goes to the prom, but the Nancy Allen character says, no, I hate her. I want to bring her down. Let's let's yeah. let's trap her into thinking that she's going to be prom queen and then tip this bucket of blood over her head and make her, everyone laugh at her. Yeah. And it's a very, very shocking scene when it happens. I mean, it's in slow motion, so you can kind of tell what's going to happen. Yeah. But when it hits, it's still really yeah. shocking. Up until the blood hits, then it's, it's very scary. But then De Palma slightly undoes that sort of goodwill by sort of the trickery. Because one of the things that he does in the scene that follows is that Carrie locks all the doors of the prom hall with her telekinetic powers. And then starts so the place starts setting on fire and she gets the water hoses to sort of spray everyone in yeah bits of the stage start collapsing because she's moving it. And the thing that he does is that he does it in split screen. So you're watching sort of two different th- angles of the same thing going on at once. And yeah. it's very difficult to kind of keep a track of what's going yeah, on. Yeah, sure, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not awful. The tension doesn't completely evaporate, but you just think, OK, so what exactly should I be focusing on? And yeah. what sort of scale is this? It just undercuts the feeling of poetic justice. There's also something of when uh, Carrie is sort of looking out into the crowd and they're laughing at that, there is... Um, it goes into what's known as kaleidoscope vision which is where you get sort of six of the same image yeah. in a little circle which was used in metropolis during the uh, the striptease scene in metropolis yeah. which in metropolis it works very well but in this it, it's it doesn't really serve a purpose and he puts on top of that this the repeating line of the mother which is they're all gonna laugh at you sort of loops and loops yeah. and you know, when the mother first says it it's fine but then it gets into for me a bit like do you remember the ending of sergeant pepper you know, the ending of A Day in the Life, once you've had this, and then it goes, never could be any other way, never could be any, and that gets annoying very quickly, particularly on the record in spite of its botched ending however it is a damn fine film which still has the power to unnerve after 35 years i saw this again on television recently and was very creeped out by it spacex extraordinary performance is supported by some very fine work from piper laurie who was also oscar nominated there is a brief appearance like i say by john travolta who i think was filming saturday night fever as this got released so it's interesting to see him just before he became a star and whereas de palma's later works would be memorably shocking this is shockingly memorable and it is the high
0: point of his distinguished career sounds, sounds a great film yes yes you obviously enjoyed it yes well sort of
1: is the fresh sound for the district live from an Life. this
0: is lionheart radio Yes, it is. Shall we talk about uh, three weeks' time yeah. when we're back?
1: Yeah, because we're off in three for the next couple of weeks, and then we'll be back on the 12th when we will do Capricorn 1. Sounds good. Yes, yeah, so um, Martian conspiracy film, if they're setting off now, by the time we get back, they should be there.
0: <laughs> or will they? <laughs> indeed, indeed. <laughs> right. Let's have a look at um, the new releases, then. I think we'd better get the rant out of the way first, haven't we? Uh, Restless. OK. I was reading the plot for this. It sort of worked for about five lines, and then it talks about ghosts, and I was thinking, hmm. Yes, uh, <laughs> so restless new film by gus van sant who is most
1: famous for goodwill hunting which um won- Best original screenplay oscars for matt damon and ben affleck so Great when you feel so when well it's okay i like it but it is a bit dull in places i mean because so whenever you see academy award winner matt damon that's yeah. where he got it from so. no, i remember it yes yeah. and most recently he uh, got oscar nominated for milk which uh, sean penn won an oscar for at any rate so the story follows a lady called annabelle cotton played by uh, mia Vashikovska, who was most recently in jane Eyre. she's a terminal cancer patient with about three months to live she develops a relationship with a guy called enoch bray who's played by henry hopper who is son of the late dennis hopper so you know quite a, uh, a reputation to live up to in more ways than one um he has in to quote the rt synopsis dropped out of the business of living and <laughs> spends all of his time gate crashing funerals so it's a little bit harold and Maud already and yeah. they develop a friendship he's also got a friendship with the ghost of a japanese kamikaze pilot which only he can see and that's that's where it gets a little bit fanciful now yeah here's the thing gus van sant is infuriatingly inconsistent as a filmmaker. On the one hand, you know, know, Drugstore Cowboy, My Own Private Idaho, To Die For, which is one of Nicole Kidman's best performances, showing that she can actually do comedy very well. Most recently he made Elephant, which was a a terrific film about, and sort of a school massacre, which came very shortly after Michael Moore's bowling for Columbine, but it was a much more interesting film. So he's good on that. On the other hand, even Cowgirls Get the Blues, which it's, you know, Uma Thurman is a hitchhiker with massive thumbs, and that's the whole gag. Um, The remake of psycho which is one of the most pointless things ever undertaken and most recently before Milk, he did last days which was sort of supposedly based on the last days of kurt cobain but they couldn't actually call him kurt because of a licensing issue so you had this guy called michael pitt playing blake wandering around this house for three days looking at trees and trying to make porridge and you just think why am i paying money to watch this drivel so Occasionally, he's very, very good, but when he's bad, he's navel-gazing, overly quirky, earnestly dull, or just plain stupid, and this is a return to all of those. Um, first off, it's the usual problem with Hollywood illnesses of, you know, Mia Meshikowska looks incredibly glamorous right up to the moment where she pops the clogs, which yeah. I don't think happens with terminal cancer patients. Nope, indeed. Secondly, it's the unbearable quirkiness of it. I mean, the Enoch character, like as he gatecrashes funerals, which, no. You know, got, Harold Maud is fine because that's charming and very, very funny, and that's one of Hal Ashby's best films, but he does things like playing battleships with the ghost or lying on the ground and drawing chalk outlines around his body, or dressing up as a pilot. And that becomes very difficult to bear very early on. But worst of all, it's, it's the pretentiousness of it. I mean, if this had been made by someone like Lasse Hallstrom, the guy who made Chocolat and What's yeah. Eating Gilbert Grape, it would have been just about excusable because, no, you know, Lasse Hallstrom has a very sugary sensibility and it's also light-hearted and frothy. Yeah. I mean, Chocolat in particular, which, you know, um, Juliet Binoche owns a coffee shop and then Johnny Depp turns up as a gypsy who just happens to play the guitar and she falls in love with him. No, but that that's fine. Great film. It's, yes. yeah, I really enjoy Chocolat. And but so if Lars Halstrom had done this, it would have been sort of twee inexcusable. But it's Gus Van Sant saying, hey, this is arty. This is profound. This is really interesting about existential. And you just think, no, it's not, Gus. You are a complete idiot. Go back to something like Elephant because this is self absorbed, navel gazing twaddle. And it's one of the worst films of the year.
0: Right. Should we try another one that's yes. not going well with the critics? Uh, Judy Moody and the Not Bummer Summer.
1: New film by John Schultz, whose last film was Aliens. In the attic starring asli tisdale from uh, high school musical three based on the apparently much loved children's book by megan mcdonald the story follows judy moody played by uh, jordana beaty who decides for no particular reason to have the most thrilling summer of her life and she goes around having adventures with her aunt opal played by heather graham who's in um austin powers the spy who shagged me all yeah. that long ago and her little brother called stink played by paris mostler um when we talked about Horrid Henry not so long ago, I mean, we sort of said that it was sort of ropey and a little bit all over the place, but there was a sort of a charmingly yeah. rascal quality yes. to it. And this earns brownie points over Horrid Henry because it's not in 3D, but that's about all that it has in its favour. I mean, clearly we're not the target audience in either case, but if Horrid Henry was like sort of hanging out with a bunch of rough and tumble boys and having fun, yeah. this is like dragging around a kid around the theme park who has ADHD. I mean, it's not as bad as something like Fred the Movie where it's constantly screaming and the plot's going off in six different directions at 100 miles an hour and you just it becomes unbearable it's just it's not as enjoyable in that sort of ropey way as Howard henry is right next one's not gone down desperately well the critics either. monte carlo neuromantic comedy from a thomas Bezuka, whose previous film was big eden which came out about 11 years ago uh, the story follows three young women played by selena gomez who's in spy kids three so bad start leighton meester who was in the roommate that sort of rubbish non-remake of single white female, and Katie Cassidy, who's in Taken, and I think it's going to be in the sequel to Taken as well. So, they're three young women, they dream of going to France, they go to France, but because of a plot contrivance, they end up in Monte Carlo, and in an even greater plot contrivance, they end up being treated like royalty, so they go around in sort of princessy dresses and drinking champagne and so forth, and discover the true meaning of friendship. (laughs) Um it's staggeringly unremarkable to the point at which you think they're really not trying. I mean, all the stuff about sort of ordinary people becoming princesses was done to a certain extent in both the Princess Diaries films, of which the first one's really good and the second yeah. one's sort of all right. I mean that's you know, one of Anne Hathaway's best performances. And the cast are pretty flat, especially Andy McDowell, who is still treating all her performances like it's a L'Oreal advert. <laughs> I'm, sort of one- I'm wandering in, I'm glamorous, I'll get off with you grant, and then I'll pick up my check and go. And it may satisfy the wrong. Crowd, but as soon as it's over, you'll forget about it. Right.
0: Big cast list for the next one: contagion Matt Damon, Jude Law, Kate Winslet, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Marianne Cotillard, I believe, who yes. is the big draw for me. New film by stephen Soderbergh, who
1: is most famous for mainstream audiences for uh, the Ocean series: Oceans Twelve, Eleven, Twelve, and Thirteen. Yeah. You seen any of those? No. Right. Have you seen the original Oceans Eleven, the Frank Sinatra Rat Pack vehicle? Don't remember it. No. The original's not very good. Um, so it's an ensemble cast like you say, Matt Damon, Kate Winslet, yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow, Marianne Cotillard, who was most recently in Inception. Um, the story follows the rapid progress of a lethal airborne virus that can kill within days, and it follows the panic that spreads around, among this community, I think it's in America, that spreads faster than the virus with people struggling to survive, and uh, it's yeah. a question of which is more dangerous, the violence itself or the virus itself or the panic that, inf- that ensues. It's a good, solid sci-fi horror premise. I mean, it does hark back to things like um, Outbreak in the 90s or yeah, Terry indeed. Gilliam's 12 Monkeys, which is sort of yeah. Bruce Willis going back in time to stop a deadly virus, wiping out 90% of mankind, which has got a fantastic performance by David Morse in. David Morse, best known for playing uh, Brutus Howell in The Green Mile. He's a yeah. great actor actor um there's also the thing that's at the back of it all for me is the crazies the george romero film about sort of this deadly virus and townsfolk turning on each other which many people consider to be george romero's best film i mean personally i've always had a soft spot for his vampire film called martin where it's about a boy who acts like a vampire but it's the question of is he or isn't he and the film's answer is well maybe the thing with steven soderbergh is that it, because he makes films so quickly you know sometimes two or three in a year it's a question of how interested is he in the subject matter because if you look at his, some of his most recent output he made he made the two che films which i have to say i, w- I found rather underwhelming but he sort of took he took his time over that and they got sort of oscar attention yeah. and awards attention and so forth but immediately after that he made a film called the girlfriend experience with um porn star sasha gray about this sort of upmarket call cool girl for which the tagline was go with someone you <clears throat> for the second time today. And that was one of those things where he's making films and almost doesn't care whether anyone sees them, which is one step away from going down the sort of the narcissistic Michael Cimino route of everything I do is art and everything is perfect and you're all idiots if you don't get it. To which the answer is, Michael, you're an idiot, stop making films. In this case, he does seem interested in the subject matter. It's very well-researched, it's very nicely shot. Soderbergh famously is as cinematographer for all of his own films, because that's how he cut his teeth. And there's pretty good performances. For me, because it's an ensemble cast, there's not enough of either Matt Damon or Marianne Cotillard, because they're yeah. two very charismatic people. But it's enjoyable, popcorn-y thrill affair, which does make you think a little. OK, our next film, a sequel, Paranormal Activity. Three. Yeah, um sequel or possibly prequel. Um It's the third in the Paranormal Activity series, as the name suggests, funny that, um, produced by Oren Pelley, who directed the original. Now, the first Paranormal Activity was sort of interesting and admirable in a found footage way. The second one was incredibly boring. This is held by Henry Deust and Ariel Shulman, who directed Catfish, which was a sort of, the pseudo-documentary about people finding each other on Facebook and had sort of the big twist yeah. ending, which divided the critics. Some people thought it was very engrossing, some people thought it was terrible. I'm sort of in the middle, to be honest. Um, so it, it takes us right back to the events before the first film to show how it all began, so how the house became haunted, what happened there, that sort of thing. Yeah, It does follow the rule that when you do a prequel, it's an indication that you've run out of ideas, and I say that with Rise of the Planet of the Apes as the exception rather than the rule. A, because I still haven't seen it, and B, because yeah. I trust you. <laughs> um, yes. Great. So, well, you should know that already, Richard. Um, it's not scary in the slightest. You'd think because they come from a background in sort of pseudo documentaries that maybe, yeah. okay, they can do something at least workable with the, doc- with the format. But it, like the second film, it is essentially long periods of nothing happening, and then the odd, very loud bang. Right. And it's Dull and I just hope this is the last one right and we're going to finish with the film of the week we need to talk about Kevin yes um,
0: and you went to see that
1: I did it's unusual for me to sort of see these before I talk about them on the show but I went to see this last night it's the new film by Lynn Ramsey who made uh, Ratcatcher and Morvan Caller with a great performance by Samantha Morton she also at one point was going to do the lovely bones the adaptation of the yeah. Alice Sebold novel which eventually uh, ended up being held by Peter Jackson mm-hmm. and the Jackson version the, the kindest way to describe it is an admirable failure um it's based on the novel by lionel Sh- Lionel Shriver, which i haven't read, and the novel won all sorts of prizes and It follows a woman called Eva played by Tilter Swindon, whom many people will know as the White Witch in yeah. Chronicles of Narnia and she marries a man called Franklin played by John C. Riley, and uh, she gives up her career to have a son called Kevin who is played in the the sort of Teenage version by uh, a newcomer called Ezra Miller and over the course of the film, we move backward and forward through Kevin's childhood through their in highly strained relationship culminating in him murdering a lot of his classmates with a bow and arrow at the age of 15 and the resulting trial and the repercussions of it when he's been banged up like i say i saw this at the time side last night and so i think i am on the authority to say this it's the film of the year and it's even now sitting here at sort of 5 to 11 in the morning a whole 24 hours after seeing it i'm still slightly shaken both by how good it was and how deeply unnerving it was there were whole sections of the film which reminded me of um David Lynch's most recent film Inland Empire which is you No know, Laura Dern playing an actress who takes a job yeah. in a film only to discover that the film is cursed. Have you seen Inland Empire? No. No, no. because you haven't seen many of Lynch's work but no, it's interesting it's a bit indulgent in places yeah. but that central idea is very well worked and there are also, it does also link back in, in a sort of horror movie way to the, the paedophobic trend in horror, the fear of children, so Village yeah. of the Damned, Rosemary's Baby, The Exorcist, The Omen, you know, classic sort of 60s and 70s trope in which it's the idea of we're afraid of children uh, because they might be smarter than us, and, and whether yep. it's demonic power or them being the devil, that's, that's the sort of the analogy that he used as a device it's a film about the nature of evil and about the fear of children but it's deeply deeply ambiguous you feel that all the characters are constantly conflicted particularly the tilda swinton character and it's the question of did she ever love her son because he ruined her life and you no know, does she still care about it is she there's a sequence where She, uh, takes the the child who has not stopped screaming at all since she's been born, and and, uh, there's a sequence where his dad picks him up and he's completely quiet, but then the mother picks him up and he just starts bawling his head off, and to take her mind off the screaming, she parks the pram next to a pneumatic drill and just lets (laughs) it go for a couple of minutes. And it's 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 a question of you know, who is to blame for what happened is it the child being inherently malevolent is it the parents is it you know, yeah. the mother and the father it's very very ambiguous in the film you no know, it lets you make up your own mind and I you know you find yourself wanting to discuss this for a couple yeah. of hours afterwards and there's also the question of whether or not kevin knew that what he was doing was wrong and you know, is he a sociopath or a psychopath and yeah. you know, it's very interesting the soundtrack is by johnny greenwood uh, who is the bass player in radiohead he also did the soundtrack for there will be blood and it's it's in the best possible way it's noise it's sort of the intrusiveness of sort of brushes scrubbing on yeah. wood and sanding machines and lawn mowers and the rain even just kind of so it, keep you on edge exactly i mean it's, yeah. it, you sort of start with the idea of the woman's psyche being traumatized by the scream of her child and now yeah. she's hypersensitive to every single sound the sound design is absolutely magnificent it is the film of the year. I need to see it again to just fully appreciate it, but it is extraordinary, and I wouldn't be surprised if it gets some awards attention.
0: Yeah, I and mean, they're saying, uh, t- on the, just reading some of the critics' comments, uh, Tilda Swinton, Oscar-worthy central performance. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the most malevolent movie in years. Uh, yes, sounds... it is very malevolent. <laughs> yes. Uh, expectant Mothers Look Away. <laughs> And, uh, but one interesting from the Daily Express, and we'll finish on this one, sure. but you can respond, atmospheric and beautifully shot, but ultimately empty and meaningless. Which is total nonsense.
1: One of the things that the film does do is that it isn't in linear order. It, it sort of jumps back and forth between the present day with her visiting Kevin in, in jail and all the events in between from his birth. It is very, very atmospheric and very beautifully shot, but there is there is meaning in it it's almost like a thriller where you're encouraged to sort of you gather evidence from the different characters and thinking well maybe he did it but maybe yeah. she did it and so forth it's a really extraordinary film so please go and see it it's at the time side all this coming week it's yes. the film of
0: the year without any question but not for expectant laws <laughs> <laughs> i'll not? see you in three weeks time
1: lion heart radio the voice of no